the biggest thing I'd ever owned. And so every, every week, you know, I would go, I'd look forward to going to my grandfather's house. And um, I'd go down there and I could climb up in that tree. And, uh, you know, it just really brought joy to me. A simple thing. But, uh, you know, those, there are things in our life that, that uh, bring us joy, uh, that, that make, make us want to live for something. And uh, I remember the first time we met here, uh, it was kind of like this, maybe a little bit cooler, and Bill was saying, just look around at creation. Just look at all the things that God has created. Can you believe He created this tree over here? You know, I thought, wow, it's pretty amazing when you think about a God that can just speak, and it is so. And so, we're going to look at some trees today for... For a change. Um, so I'm going to start at the very beginning. Uh, all of you people that read through the Bible every year, you're faithful to read through the Bible, you, we're going to start in Genesis, the second chapter. And this is what it says. The Lord planted a garden toward the east in Eden. If you want to look it up, it's Genesis 2, starting in verse 8. The Lord planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden And from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold from that land is good. The Dillium and the Onyx Stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows to the east of of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Very familiar. We've all heard that. And we all know what happened after that. Their desire to be wise, discerning what was good and what was bad, became a higher priority than obeying one limitation that God asked of Adam and Eve. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know, we all inherited that rebellious streak, that rebellious DNA. And now we want to decide for ourselves what is good for us and what is bad for us. And to complicate it even more, we want to decide what's good for you and what's not good for you. Uh, And there's a whole group of people that want to be that for us. Um, So I would say that we've chosen poorly over the ages. Uh, in, in how we've, we've, we've been able to use our great powers of rationalization and discernment 
to choose poorly pretty consistently throughout the ages. But um, God, after finding Adam and Eve hiding in shame because they were naked and they sowed fig leaves to protect themselves, that's a whole other sermon. He killed an animal and made garments of skin, another sermon, because he had great mercy on them. We continue to read in this story in Genesis 3, Genesis 3:22. It says this. Then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever." Therefore, The Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out at the east end of the garden of Eden, and he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. This was God's wisdom that he banned the way back to the tree of life. So most of the time we talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What, what did they give up? What, what were they kept from? What did they lose as that, as that which was freely? He said you can freely eat of this tree, the tree of, of, of life. And so um, how many think that they had already eaten of the tree of life? Nobody. I think they had. Because that's the way they stayed alive. The tree of life represented the overflow of God's abundant life and goodness. That's how they were sustained. And so this is what they gave up. This is why they would surely die. They could no longer eat of this tree of life and all that it represented to maintain communion and fellowship with God in their own life. Um, So, the question is, since there were two angels, really strong angels, with a sword that turned all around that, that kept them from going back on this path to the tree of life, when would the tree of life ever appear again? Was it going to be, as you read the Bible, is it like one of those early characters like in a movie? You know, a lot of times um, there's a character at the beginning that is there for a few frames or a couple, but they either get sick and die or they're killed or whatever. Is the tree of life like that? I mean, when is it next mentioned in the Bible? All you people that read it through the Bible every day, every year... (laughs) You should, be, you should know the answer to this. I, I, I'm kind of guilty, and I would say don't follow my example, because I probably haven't read through the Bible in five years. Um, I tend to just find these places and, and drill down, you know. And so I'm saying don't be an imitator of me. Um, you should read the Bible through every year. And you should drill down and meditate on the deeper meanings of what, what, it's, what it says. Which means I need to invest more time in Bible reading. 
just like Billy Graham said that's what he wished he had done. He wished he had spent more time reading the Bible and praying when he was asked at the end of his life. Now that really brings conviction to, to how important it is for all of us. But anyway, um, it does appear again in the book of Revelation. So if you read all the way through the Bible, you will get to the last book of the Bible, and guess what? Tree of Life appears. It's in the very last chapter, in, in chapter 22. I'm going to read this beginning in the first verse. Then he showed me a, a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of this river, was the tree of life. didn't say trees of life. On either side of the river was the tree of life. Bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And I think the cloud of witnesses above will tell us, yeah, they're faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. You can skip down a few verses to verses four, verse 14. It says this, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by its gates into the city. Now, Revelation is not one of these books that I understand. There's lots of mystery there, probably more mystery for me than many people. Um, but, this I, but this I think I can tell you. Um, that tree of life is what will sustain us yet again in, in that garden. So, do you think that when you get your new body and your spirit that you are immortal from then on? Or do you think you need a tree of life again? I submit that if God was no more, you and I would be no more with our new body and our new spirit. We need God's overflowing life to sustain us even in eternity. And that tree of life and that river of life is what that represents for us. And so that's what we've got to look forward to. So the, the question I have this morning is this. What about between the trees? What about between the tree of life in Genesis? And the tree of life in Revelation. What 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 is it? How are we sustained? How are how are people sustained 
before Calvary. Well, if you listen to the Jewish commentators, they say there is a path to the tree, to the to the tree of life, and it's represented in the law. They say if you if you look at the symbols there, there were two angels. They were called seraphim. They were on top of the the mercy box of the, of the tabernacle, and they guarded the way to life, which was the law. Uh, now, sadly. Um, we all know that if you keep the law perfectly, yes, you have a righteous life. But um, no one's been successful yet at keeping all the law. Um, it's a steep road for those that try. It's a long, long path. And no one's ever gotten to the end of it to reach God through the law. What it's what it's been designed for, as we know, as believers, it, it's 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 that master that shows us we're in desperate need of a redeemer if we're gonna go back and be in full communion with God. And so all along this story in the Bible there are hints about this tree. I'm going to read, I've got some long passages here, and so I'm just going to read the first parts of most of them, and then you can follow up at home with these. The first one is, um, of all places, I'm going to start the last verse of Isaiah 10, which really is just a preface to get to chapter 11, verse 1, but we need to see because of how it starts. Isaiah 10:33 says this, Behold, the Lord, the God of hosts, will lop off the vow, the boughs, that's tree branches, if you know what a bough is, will lop off the boughs with a terrible crash. There, those also who are tall in statue will be cut down, and those who are lofty will be abased. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an iron axe, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. Then, Isaiah 11, 1, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. That shoot refers to the promised one that follows David. A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he, this is speaking of Jesus, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his eyes hear. But the righteousness he will judge, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. I could go on through verse 5, but I'm going to stop there and switch to Isaiah 53, verse 2. It says, For he grew up before him. He, Jesus, grew up before him, God, like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately majesty that we should look upon him, 
nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This, you can read this verse. It goes on through chapter uh, verses 6. But I've got a number of other verses I want to read. But there, there is a tree that, that is being built throughout the Bible story. Jesus himself says this, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so it may bear more fruit. This is an interesting verse. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, I don't know if, if everything that I'm saying today is exactly right, but the world was made through Jesus Christ. God spoke, and God the Son was the one who executed God's commands. So, the tree of life comes through Christ, God the Son, which He gave up to hang on a dead tree to conquer death. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So the one through whom life came, the tree of life, hung on a cross, a dead tree, to conquer death so that eventually we all may be redeemed to have life through Christ yet again. For John 5.26, For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to His Son also to have life in Himself. John 1.4 In Him, Jesus, was life and the life was the light of men. John 6.63 It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And Jesus promised when He was resurrected and when he was ascended that he would send his spirit and that's our connection today for life the bible is our words on a page and unless the spirit brings life and understanding and makes a and makes an application to us they're just words on a page nobody knew the the bible better than the pharisees and yet the living word stood in front of him and they didn't recognize who he was. You know, as I've, as I've thought through this, it's like a part of this COVID, this COVID time that we've had 
And as, as Camille talked about last week, this, tra- this transition time, um, it's about a turning. It's about a turning to re- return, um, like a lot of us are saying now, not to a, an, an old normal, but to a new normal. And what is that supposed to look like for a believer that's walked through this time? There's a new normal for us to walk in as believers. That's the transition that we're in, the choice that we're in. Uh, and that really remi- it demands this of, um, to find out what's pleasing to the Lord. If you remember Randy's message. Uh, and that what's pleasing to the Lord is learning to walk by the Spirit more and more consistently with the Lord. You know, the Bible gives us the answers to all the questions of life. It gives us the principles and the guidelines to make those decisions. But it doesn't necessarily give us how to respond in all the different situations that we might find ourselves. That's what the Spirit's for. That's what brings us life to make those, those decisions in a way that's pleasing to God. Um, you know, earlier in Revelation, I did skip over one reference to the Tree of Life. So I want to go back to it in Revelation chapter 2. At this point, um, John, who's on the island of Patmos, uh, uh, is being shown by an angel uh, a vision about seven golden lampstands. And these lampstands represent the seven churches of Asia during that particular time. And I honestly, as I've read through this and look at these churches, it's like, they're pretty representative of the churches through the ages in, in many ways. And um, a, as you read through this thing, there is this encouragement that they give to each church. And there's a shortcoming that's given to each church. And I don't know about you all, but I read the shortcomings of all seven churches. And I'm like, you know what? That's me at some time in my, in my Christian walk with the Lord. I'm there. I'm every one of them. But the one I want to focus on is the very first church. It's the church of Ephesus, which was a, a, a church that was full of good works, persevering, uh, following after the Lord. Um, but this is what it says in Revelations chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands say this. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test all those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, 
as I've thought about this, and this may be just for me, you know, but it may be for some of you as well. What is what is so special about this first love that after all these things this church has been is doing, that that's what he puts his finger on. You've left your first love, but and then he get, at least he gives a he gives a remedy. He says, "Remember, repent, and do." And so, can you think back? Can you remember? Remember when you first believed? What was it like when you first believed? What was life like then? What did you know? What did you do? What did you think? What did who did you think about? Um, what kind of characteristics did you observe? I mean, were you full of Bible knowledge at that time? Full of Bible knowledge? It wasn't that you knew the Bible that really blessed the Lord at that time. It was something else, wasn't it? It was something else. Remember, what was it for each one of us? It may have been a little bit different for each one of us. And yet, God says, I, I long for that again. Yes, I know you've memorized the book of Luke, but I long for that. You know? It's not that he's saying you've done nothing, because he's encouraged this church. But he's saying, remember, remember this. And repent. Change your mind about this is important to me still. <laughs> Change your mind about that, you know, I was so dumb back then, and I didn't know anything. And I spoke out of turn, and I t- said things that. We're so not biblical. Remember, repent that this thing still makes a difference to me. It still means something to me, that first love. You know, we scratch our heads like, well, you know, I mean, I've, I've gotten mature and, you know, I really dwell on the deeper things of God now. And then he's saying, wait a minute, what is it about this thing that means so much to you? What is it? Change your mind about it, Preston. And do the things you did at first. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Maybe it's you lost. You lost your. Um, you lost your. Ooh. That's a long way down there for an old man. <laughs> um, maybe it means you left your first love and it, it's about, I'm your first love. It's not that we've left Jesus completely, but are there other things that are really pressing in? We find ourselves um, thinking about them more than we did in those days, um, are they? Is it easy for things to move us out of focusing on Christ now? Uh, how about the COVID thing? Did you uh, run? Did anybody get more focused on that during this past year? We all did. You know, it was this unseen mystery thing that could get you. You know. Uh, Maybe it's that. Maybe we let other things crowd into this focus that we had. 
in, in this particular time. Um, I'm just throwing these things out because there's something precious about first love that means something to, to the Lord. Uh, and I think that that's the thing that's going to, if we're going to change, we are going to walk in this new normal is going to bring that thing back to us. Um, and that may be a little bit different for each one of us. But whether we do it here or whether you take this home, take this, take this word and, and let the Lord do something with it. Because um, it's not just the shortcomings. Some of you may need to hear the encouragements. You know, this, this you bless me with about how, how you have this particular attitude or this thing that you're walking in or this ministry that you're pursuing. It's not always you don't have, you don't have, you fall short, you fall short. It's like, I want, Father wants to encourage us. But because He loves us, He wants us to, if I can use the phrase, be the best we can be in Christ. He, he wants to show us these things that He wants us to grow in or He wants us to remember in. And I think this is one of them. I haven't got my whole hands around, even though I've been toying with this for two or three weeks now, exactly what does that mean for me, first love? But I want you to give it some reflection so that it's included in your new normal of, your, uh, of our walk before the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're gentle and tender with your children. Lord, oftentimes as fathers, we're, we're not so much that way so we can learn from you. You're kind and gentle, which we have heard about this past year. And you're kind and gentle in your encouragements and you're kind and gentle in your uh, challenges and, our, and the things that we fall short in. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would be both encouraged, but Lord, that you would also give us grace to hear, to remember, repent, and to do those things, Father, that you put your finger on in our lives, that we might grow closer to you, that our communion with you might be sweeter, um, Lord, that we might walk in, in closer step with you in the Spirit, that we might know how to be wise, Father, not from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but because a part of the tree of life you've given to us through Christ by His Spirit in Jesus' name. Um, today's benediction comes out of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely, set you apart entirely. And may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Amen and amen. Preston, I was thinking one thing. So, what is life? 
I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, I guess while I was thinking about it, you know, they, they've got this thing up on the on Mars, right? And it's trying to find water because if you find water, they hope they can find life. So we're searching for life on Mars. Okay. And think about if you try to find life on the on the Earth, there's no place you can go that you don't find life. I mean, you can go 7,000 miles deep in the ocean that no, gets no sunlight whatsoever. And these, these little critters that live down there feeding off the heat that comes up. Or you can go up in the sky, or you can go to the top of the mountain. I mean, there's life everywhere you look. But what is it? <laughs> what, what is it that makes something alive? What is it that, what's in that seed that when you plant that seed and it gets wet and it's the right temperature, it comes alive? It starts growing. You know, what, what is it that makes things alive? And why can't they reproduce it in labs? I mean, they've tried, they've lied about their trials. But what is it that makes things alive? And does it have to do with this tree of life? You know, does it have to do with Christ Himself? Um, I think we'll be always looking for Jesus for life. What is your life? Is your life really wants and needs and desires? If you had no wants or needs or desires, would you have life? I mean, there's a lot to think about here. A lot to think about here.